Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Curtis Anderton Show. Uh, today, we have kind of a fun episode because I'm going to be answering your guys' questions about the paramedic world. Uh, so recently, I made a Facebook post and just asked my friends and family if they had any questions about paramedicine and uh, any like, kind of like myths that I could debunk or whatever that may be. And uh, I got an awesome response. We got 10 questions and lots of people commenting and um, first off, just thank you so much for taking the time to do so because it just makes it so much more fun for me when I have some engagement and, and some more topics to talk about on the show. So I appreciate each and every one of you. Um, yeah, so before I get started here, I just want to say that I am speaking from my experience through my practicum. Uh, so I, I don't have a job right now. However, I'm licensed to work as a paramedic in BC and Canada, uh, and I'm graduated from school. So this, the stuff that I'll be talking about is just from experience from my practicum, which was 12, 12 hour shifts on ambulance throughout the lower mainland. Uh, another quick note, this, I know this is coming out later than maybe you guys hoped for, but I've tried to record this like four times and it, like I, for some reason, every single time I have an issue of Wi-Fi or it won't upload and I, it just deletes itself, which is so it's got really frustrating. So if you're listening to this, then it finally worked. So I really hope that you enjoy um, this episode. So let's dive right in. Emily asks, does a, sorry, Emily asks, does an ambulance ride cost money? So yes, it does cost money to you if you need the ambulance. It's an $80 fee. Um... If you can't afford it, if you're in a circumstance where you can't afford to pay the $80, then BC Ambulance, I believe it's BC Ambulance, um, will cover that fee for you, which I think is very, which is just great. Um, Yeah. Uh, Summer sarcastically asks, why don't we ever get lunch breaks? So Summer uh, became a paramedic a few years before me, and she was one of the main people who encouraged me to pursue this career. So um, I think it's awesome that Summer asked the second question out of all this. So uh, yeah, so basically... Uh, depending on where we're working, it can be crazy busy and we don't get schedule breaks. Like we don't get two 15s in a half an hour. Like that would be amazing. Uh, we basically have to go to a call when we get dispatched to it. So we really don't have much of a choice. And when we get to eat, I had shifts on call where we were in busy areas and I started at 6am and I didn't eat until 4pm. So it just kind of depends on, uh, where you're stationed. Um, the other circumstances, you got lots of downtime and you're able to eat when at normal times of the day. Shelby asks, why don't paramedics ever run to the scene of a major accident? So in this situation, like you guys might often see paramedics get out of the ambulance, maybe at a car accident or whatever that may be, and and take their time and walking and taking their time getting out of the ambulance. And they just don't seem like they there's a lot of urgency going on. And it frustrates a lot of people because especially when they're in crisis and they see help walking and taking their time, it's frustrating. So I'm going to explain that right now. The reason that is, is we're trained in school and they, they push this a lot on us. And it's really important is our personal safety as paramedics. That's our first priority. When we go to a scene, that's the first thing we go over is we pull up with our ambulance. We look at our windshield. We make sure it's safe to get out of the ambulance and we're not going to get hurt in any way. And then as we're walking up to the scene, we have to make sure that it's safe for us. It's safe for the patient. It's safe for everybody around. Um, and also like, what do we need? Do we need backup? Do we need more stuff from the ambulance? So what's going on? And take that time to process it and figure out what we're going to do. And so that's why we walk. Uh, another important reason is in circumstances of like major crisis, emotions are very high, adrenaline's flowing, and things can get very chaotic and out of control. And 
I've seen it so many times where like things are just kind of going nuts when we show up. People are screaming, people are freaking out. And the the attendant or that paramedic who's leading that call walks in, speaks calmly and explains what they're about to do and literally just takes control of the whole situation and just brings everything down a notch and takes everything into control. And so that's a big part of it as well as if we're rushing into a call, we, we don't have time to process that. We also give the the look that we're we're rushing and we're nervous or whatever that may be and it doesn't really help the situation by us running it would just make things more stressful because then the people who are hurt know that it's bad um so yeah so it's just it's a big part of our safety as well as making sure that we are there for you guys and making sure that we are in control of everything that's going on so in my experience that's that's why and uh, why we talked about it in school so i hope that answers the question Janelle asks, what do you guys do on your spare time? So again, this kind of depends on where we're working. If it's really busy, we don't have a whole lot of spare time. If we're in a quieter area, then like this is something I didn't know about BC ambulances. Like I thought that you go to a call and then you go back to your station and then that's your day like constantly. But kind of how it works is you are working for 12 hours depending on like the the ambulance you're working on. There's different like kinds of shifts. But say if you're working on just like a basic full-time car, um, you're working for 12 hours and you kind of can do whatever you want as long as you respond to the calls when they come in from dispatch. So I, we could be getting coffee. We could be going out for lunch somewhere. Um, at one shift I sat in a, on a beach in a parking lot. We had a crossword puzzle. Like it kind of depends on the person and where you are. Maybe you'll get groceries for the rest of the day. Um, <clears throat> so it kind of varies, but the, the main thing is we just have to be able to respond when um, a call comes in over the radio. So Tom asks, what is the craziest call you've ever been on? Now, this is a very common question, and I understand why, because paramedics obviously see a lot of things, same as firemen and police, and people always want to know, what's the craziest thing you've seen? And um, So this question, I am going to save for another episode. Um, I want to be able to go into a bit more uh, make it more of a story and talk about it in a bit more depth. Um, and that's kind of part of the podcast is I want to tell stories and, and share those things. I think they're interesting and I enjoy sharing them. So I'm going to save that for another time, but I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a teaser. Um, my, the craziest call I've ever been on. And the one that I know Thomas is talking about is I responded to, um, somebody who got shot. So it was, it was pretty, gory and interesting and I learned a ton and so I'll talk about that in a later episode but thank you for the question Thomas um you get your question gets a whole episode on its own so you're lucky um Jennifer asks how much continuing education do you have and how are we regulated so in order to keep up with our license for BC or for a paramedicine in Canada we have to have credit 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 we have to have 20 credits of education every year to maintain our license. So that kind of varies, and it's up to us to do that on our own. Um, so sometimes BC Ambulance has courses for us to do, whether there's like new medication or new um, procedures coming out. We, we could do that through BC Ambulance. But um, for the most part, we do things on our own. And the courses could vary from like a search and rescue medical course down to like a, not down to, but to a leadership program at like the Justice Institute. Uh, we just need to make sure that we get those 20 credits. So that's how we are regulated. Um, Cody, who is a, 
another paramedic and was one of my instructors uh, during my practicum, um, asks, what was the difference between kind of my thought of what emergency looks like before I started working on ambulance and then like what was it actually like? So <clears throat> this was kind of a hard question because there's there's so much things that I could talk about. And I know for sure after this podcast, I'm going to be like, Oh, I wish I said this. I wish I said that. So, um, something that I was not anticipating about being on ambulance and being in emergency situations is like, how much is going on? And I kind of underestimated it and I knew that it would be complicated, but like when you're in school, you have a acting patient who's one of your buddies laying on a floor in a square room with perfect light on a nice comfy mat and you work on them. And we talk about how different circumstances, it's going to be harder to get to your patient and all this stuff. But like, I never expected how much effort and planning goes on when you get to a situation, get to a home and your patient fell between the toilet and the bathtub. You can't see their face because they're face down. The bathroom's so tiny, you can barely fit two people in there, let alone your your partner and then firemen to help you if they say if you need to do CPR or something like that. So, and the lights are out in the bathroom. Like there's just so much that can go on. Um, and there were so many such like different calls that I had where we, we had to use four paramedics, four firemen, make an exit plan, carry the patient out, move her from A to B just so that we could work on her or him or whatever that may be. Like, it's um, it's pretty crazy how much goes on and how much you have to think about. It's not just that patient and what's going on in that moment, but it's what could happen in the next 20 minutes and what will we need when that does happen. Uh, and is this person going to be okay once we start moving them or are they going to decline and we're going to have to do interventions? Like, There's just so much more going on than I anticipated. Um, and so, yeah, and, and another thing is like, Something that surprised me, there was kind of a different uh, questions within this question, but something that surprised me was like, people treat you very poorly. And like, this is just life in general. People just at oftentimes don't treat people very nicely. But I was kind of surprised, like when somebody calls 911 and they need help, you'd think that they'd be like grateful that you're there. But a lot of times you'll show up and people are just so rude. And I guess that's just life that happens in every job. It doesn't matter where you are. Um, it just it just happens. But I just was kind of surprised. I didn't think it was going to be as bad uh, working as a paramedic because like we're there to help you. So that was kind of like a little bit surprising for me. Um, I'm trying to think of some. Uh, there's also like I was also surprised. This kind of goes on with the other question, which is um, what didn't you see that you thought you would? I was kind of surprised, like, like 90% of our work as a paramedic is working with elderly and house calls and, and not minor by any means, but like not as much trauma and car accidents and like the trauma that I was anticipating. Like we talk about major accidents so much in school because they have to teach us the, the really stressful situations so that when that happens, you're prepared for it. And there's like, they don't talk a lot about the the basic stuff in school because that's just something you're going to deal with all the time. So I guess I was just surprised about how, um, I guess how little there was major trauma I was anticipating. When you think of paramedics, you think of like crazy car accidents and, 
and gunshots and stabbings. And of course, there are those things. And I've heard thousands of stories, but it's not like an everyday occurrence. It's it's definitely not. So that was surprising for me, for sure. Um, and that's something that I thought I would see that I didn't. So, uh, And again, there's so much more stuff I could talk about, but that's just what comes to mind right now in this moment. Question number eight. Uh, are paramedics an essential service? Now, Shelby asked this because she knows that it fires me up. I learned this in like the beginning of my education. I don't know if this has changed. So in our community in BC, like we have our essential services, which you can imagine like firemen, they're essential services, right? Police, essential services in our community to make sure that our community is safe and that things are are okay. What I did not anticipate is that Paramedics are not considered part of that essential service in our community, but liquor stores are. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let you guys sit on that one and uh, move on to the next question. Nelson asks, "Is it illegal to not have a smartwatch? And do you guys ever use your smartwatches on your patient to check heart rate?" Um, so no, it is not illegal. We don't need to have smartwatches, uh, and if we do have a smartwatch, um, we actually don't use them on our patients at all. That is just our own personal preference to tell time and to manage the situation, what's going on. But we wouldn't actually use our watch, personal watches on um, a, a patient. We have like tools and stuff to do that for us. So uh, no, we do not use smartwatches on our patients. All right, I got to flip my page here. So Janine asks, what is the biggest learning curve that you had to go through uh, kind of in the reality of in the paramedic world? So again, this is, there was a lot of learning curves that I had to go through. Like there was tons. It, it was a whirlwind. Um, but like to sum it up, this kind of two different things. But one, I wasn't anticipating how on guard you have to be. Um, when you're entering someone's home, you don't know who they are. You don't know what their intentions are. And as a, as like right now, I was into like really fired up to, I want to help people and I want to get into their homes and rescue them or whatever that may be. Um, and I was very eager. And one of my first preceptors kind of put me in check and just said like, hey, you are like kind of like running guns out into this house to make sure that your patient's okay, but you're not paying attention to what could go on or what's going on around you. And and so they asked me just to take a step back and, and watch how they approach entering homes and entering back alleyways. And th- there's so much that could go wrong. And there's people out there who who want to harm people and they, they don't have um, good intentions. And so there are situations where like if I'm knocking on a door and I've never I don't know who they are, I don't know what I'm walking into, like take a peek in the window, don't stand square to the door like stand off to the side. So if someone does come out intending to harm you, you can get out of the way. You're not in their direct line of attack or whatever that may be. And for how you're positioning yourself to the patient, don't let them have room to to hurt you in any way. And that was something I, I wasn't expecting is to actually like worry about our patients hurting us. Um, and it happens often. And so I learned very quickly from one of my preceptors who was just amazing at this kind of stuff is just like positioning myself where I can maybe exit the closest door and don't let myself get cornered and like just just putting myself in position of keeping myself safe and my partner safe um and oftentimes you say we walk into a house 
the partner would go and check a couple of the rooms to make sure that there's no one hiding behind doors or whatever that may be. And it sound, I was kind of surprised by it. I, w I wasn't anticipating to be on guard so much. Um, so that was definitely part of that learning curve as well as similar lines. Like growing up, I was very lucky enough to have wonderful people in my life. All my friends and my family for the, for the most part are very reliable, loving, honest, and I, I've always been in safe environments. And I would say I was, I'm very sheltered. I was very sheltered as a human. And um, people say that kind of stuff a lot, but like the world is just crazy and people are crazy. And I was not anticipating, um, I guess, so much dishonesty. And I know that as totally naive of me in a way, because I, I guess I just was not used to like, I, again, back going back to like, I'm going to help somebody. I wouldn't expect them to straight up lie to me. Um, and be dishonest about a situation. Like, I, I guess that's just something that I was surprised about. So for me, like, I've always seen the good in people and, and look for the golden people and didn't have my guard up expecting them to be quote unquote shady in any way. So that was something I wasn't expecting is like, I always, I didn't take things at face value sometimes, or sorry, I took things at face value when I should have looked deeper. And there were situations where, I would talk to a patient and they'd straight up lie to me and I wouldn't pick up on it. And then my instructor would call them out and be like, dude, why are you, person like, why are you lying right now? Like, what's going on? Tell us what's actually happening. And I'd be so surprised. Like, what the heck? Like, I'm here to help you. Why are you not talking to me about um, these important questions? And so I, I guess like looking back, it was naive of me to expect that. But that was the biggest learning curve for me is like walking that line of being respectful and being there for your patients, but also like not taking things at face face value so much and um, making sure that we're, I'm looking for if they're being deceiving or whatever that may be. So that was a big hurdle for me. Um, and uh, it still work like that's something that I'm going to forever work on, but to, to not be jaded and still be like empathetic and be there for the person, but also not I guess trust them so much. I know that sounds weird, but uh, that was definitely something that I had to go through and figure out. Um, and then her other question is, does there always have to be a paramedic in the back of the ambulance? And if something happens, do you guys have code words? So this is an awesome question. Uh, yes, there's whenever there's a patient, there has to be a paramedic in the back with them. We never leave them alone. Um, as soon as we make contact with that patient, they always have somebody with them until we pass them off to a nurse at the hospital. So say we're driving the back of an ambulance or we're at a house and something goes sideways, partners will have pre-made code words. Um, and so just as an example, I'll make one up. Say I'm working with Bojo, Bojo, Bob Joe. Let me say Bob Joe. Say I'm working with Bob Joe and I'm at a house and as I'm looking like helping this patient, I see that the person has a gun in their pocket. And Bob Joe and I have a code word and that code word is, hey, you know what? I think I need to go and uh, call Janine. And then Bob Joe will be like, oh, okay, something's going on here. And they'll be like, okay, cool. Let's go do that. We'll go call Janine. And then we'd walk out of the house or whatever that is or wherever we are and get to safety. So something subtle and not like gun run. Like, so yeah, so there is code words. It depends on um, who you're working with. And like everybody has some, there's some funny code words out there that are really subtle and um, super, super smart. So yeah. Last question I get a lot has to do with, um, is there just paramedic drivers 
or do they do both? So it, you can get a job as a, just a driver. Um, however, like you're not just driving the ambulance that the role of a driver, um, is there's lots they do. Um, and it's a totally a team effort all the time. So the role of the driver is transportation in every way. So that could, that means not only driving, but taking a patient from the ground to the stretcher, from the stretcher to the ambulance, from the ambulance to the hospital and into the hospital. So like, sorry, but my phone's going off here. Um, and like that might sound simple, but they aid with uh, setting up medications for you, hanging IV bags, um, lifting. If the, if you're in a tight squeeze and lots of stairs, they organize how we're going to get the patient out of the house. Uh, and they're like collecting personal information from family and friends. And there's so much that the drivers, the drivers do. And it's not, and they, we switch like depending on the shift, you can like, I'll, I'll drive today, you drive tomorrow. And, um, however the partners want to do it, but it, they're both paramedics. Uh, just one person is driving during that day. Um, but it is a total team effort on, on every call. So, yeah. So again, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. That was our last question. I really appreciate all these questions asked and the time that you spent listening to my voice talk. Um, I really appreciate that. And this was lots of fun for me. So thank you guys so much. Um, if you guys want to listen to more episodes, you can find the show on basically every podcast platform except for iTunes right now. I'm on Spotify, Google Play, uh, and like five or six other podcasting sites. So if you would, if you want to listen to more, I'd really love it if you could go and subscribe um, and listen to more episodes to come. I'll be sharing more stories about uh, different situations I was in on ambulance, as well as interviews with entrepreneurs and family and friends and and. Uh, basically anything else that I want to talk about. So I'd love it if you join in and listen to more episodes. I would love it more than anything if you guys could share this episode with one friend that you think would enjoy it. Uh, And if you think this is something that you really enjoyed and you want to make a Facebook post and share it to all your friends on Facebook or whatever that may be, I would really appreciate that. It helps so much because I just get to talk to more people and then more questions are asked in future content and it just makes for more fun for everybody and for myself and it just helps this little hobby of mine uh, grow so I would really love it if you could share it with somebody that you know so thank you so much once again I appreciate you lending me your ears have a wonderful day you have what it takes and go do something great today thanks guys I'll catch you in the next one hey everybody welcome back to another episode of the Curtis Anderson show Thank you guys so much for your response from the Q&A I released the other day. I really appreciate everybody's feedback and it makes me so happy that you guys are actually like listening and uh, contributing your guys' questions. Uh, it makes it so much fun for me. So in this episode, I'm going to tell you guys a story. So sit back and grab some popcorn. It's story time with Curtis. Uh, first off, I just want to say this will not be the story of my craziest call. Now, I know I said in the Q&A that I was going to tell it. But to be completely honest with you guys, there, I've been sitting in my car outside of a coffee shop because I'm on Salt Spring right now and I don't have Wi-Fi at the property that I'm working on and so I need to have Wi-Fi to upload this. And I've, I've went over the last story. I was trying to, to express and tell this story without giving away too much detail because legally um, I can't share a lot of information um, and like from the calls that I've been on to protect my license. 
And it sounds kind of like, oh, well, don't say names and too many details. But I still have to figure some things out because there was police involved. And I just want to be careful about what I'm sharing on the podcast because I've heard stories of medical professionals sharing things online and the medical board hearing out about it and losing their license because they're, they're not careful about what they share. Um, and I could see how easily it could happen. So I just want to make sure that I'm being very careful um, about what I'm talking about on this podcast. And so to kind of like practice telling a story with being vague, um, I'm going to start with some other stories. Uh, so par- apologize for the kind of the cliffhanger and making you guys wait um, I know it's fun to hear these stories, so but I have lots, well, quite a few stories that I can share. So I'm going to start with the funniest story that I've that I have from my experience um, on ambulance, uh, or one of the funny stories, anyways. So this story, uh, I was working in Vancouver, and we are currently sitting in a hospital, just getting back from a call, and I'm with a, a preceptor, and. We're kind of like just just hanging out. I'm talking to an undercover police officer outside of the emergency room doors right by our ambulance and uh, just talking about how her day was going. And then the radio chirped and dispatch was calling in a unit uh, in the local area and saying that there was a stabbing. So my ears perk up. Everybody kind of stops talking and turn their ears to the radios And my preceptor immediately jumps on and just says, hey, can we please get on this call? I have a student and uh, we need to get him some experience, basically. So first off, thank you, preceptor. You know who you are. It was a fun experience. So the dispatcher gets back and just says, hey, yes, you can go on this call. You guys are close. It's yours. So we run down to our ambulance, hop in. I'm all excited because... it's a stabbing like this is where I can use my skills that I learned in school and I haven't been to a trauma like this before and all these different things that are going through my mind like what I get to do and what I'll be experiencing and like it's it's a it's a fun um it's kind of like it's a fun flow of emotions when you're heading to a situation like this like the mixture of adrenaline and then trying to process what you actually have to do um is it's just a whole fun experience so we hop in the ambulance and lights and sirens and we're blaring through the city heading towards this call so uh immediately my preceptor just starts asking me some questions like okay so what's your plan here what are you going to do what might we need uh what are you going to watch out for and and just talking through what's what's about to happen so as we approach, we continue to get updates. Okay, so there's a stabbing in a local park. Okay, now there's two patients involved. So immediately we're like, okay, we're for sure going to be needed. If there's two patients, like um, they need two ambulances for something like this. So I'm like, yes, finally I get some like action. And I know that sounds morbid, but when you become a paramedic, this is the stuff that you want to experience. And these are the kind of the fun simulations that we have in school where you get to do a lot of stuff and practice a lot of skills. So I was looking forward to putting all these skills that I learned in school to the test. So we're ripping our way through the city and we're approaching the area where the stabbing took place. And as we're, I could see the lights of the police officers surrounding the area we get called off. Dispatch tells us to go and kind of on standby. So we pull over in a, a parking lot close by and our driver stops and turns to us 
with kind of a look on his face, like he's about to smile, but at the same time kind of ups- like worried. And he just says, guys, we don't have any gas. And in that moment, we just both, all of us kind of broke out laughing because like we have to get back to the hospital uh, with our patient. And you can't shut the ambulance off because there's lots of batteries on board. And if you shut the ambulance off, like batteries will die and then you won't even be able to use your vehicle. So we have to leave it running. We have literally no gas. The light is on on the dash. We're kind of chuckling to ourselves like, I can't believe this happened. Um, And we sat there for about five minutes waiting to, to get the okay to go to this call. Now, in these situations, like from my experience anyways within school, you can either get a call in to go and check out the patient or it was already taken care of by another crew and you get called off and you kind of go on your way. So I was just kind of praying secretly that we would get this call and I wouldn't have to go back to the station and I would be be able to experience this. So finally, we hear back from dispatch. Radio chirps in and says that we're good to enter. So we're entering to this park. We hop the curb and we're tearing across this uh, baseball field which was like tons of fun. And uh, I can see through the tiny little window that I'm, I'm in the back of the ambulance because there's only two seats in the front. So I'm in the back kind of where we would assess our patients looking through this like two foot by two foot window out the front window. And I can see the lights of a police car and I can see a patient laying in the grass and two police officers standing over him. So I'm like, yes, here we go. This is serious. Take a deep breath, process what I'm about to do. My preceptor says, all right, are you ready? Do you got your PPE on? Which is just like personal personal protective equipment. And uh, so I got my gloves on. I got my glasses on. I have my gear. I know what I'm going to do. I got a game plan. Hop out of the ambulance. And my preceptor's like, hey, Curtis, just so you know, there's news crews here. So just be careful. Like, just, just keep that in your mind. So I'm like, okay, cool. So I look over and there's see the big cameras all set up with a reporter. And I'm like, man, where am I right now? This is crazy. Take another deep breath because I'm trying to keep myself calm at this point. And I start walking to this patient. We're like 15 steps away. As I get closer, police officer kind of meets me halfway and says, hey guys, so this is the situation. So I'm like all ears at this point. I'm looking over at the patient. He's holding his leg. I'm like looking for blood. I'm like, hey, I can't see anything. He probably got stabbed in the leg. Uh, What's going on? Police officer takes breath and says, this gentleman late 40s, fell, and he can't get back up. I'm like, wait, what? It's like, yeah, so basically this person was super drunk, was walking through this park, tripped and fell, and is so drunk they can't get back up, and called 911 at the same time somebody got stabbed 20 feet away, had no idea there was a stabbing, had no idea what was going on in the park because he was so drunk, and called for assistance. So you guys are here to pick up the drunken man who fell 20 feet from the stabbing that happened 10 minutes ago. And so immediately I'm just like trying to keep my face like good straight face. And I'm like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? And like, I wanted to laugh because like, think about it. What a coincidence that somebody was super intoxicated and fell over, couldn't get back up 20 feet from a stabbing. And had no idea what was going on. So this guy's like freaking out because he's got police officers interrogating him, checking him over like multiple times. And like 
people are on him. And so it was just like, he was freaking out. He was so intoxicated, basically crying because he had no idea where he was and he was super drunk. And our crew was kind of like frustrated and it was kind of comical because we were called for the stabbing and it ended up just being a drunk guy. So for the next hour, uh, half of that hour, basically making sure that police checked him over and made sure he wasn't part of the situation of the stabbing. Uh, we were clear to take him to the hospital, which at this point they're literally just taking him in so that he can get some fluid and sleep it off. And, uh, there's really no medical experience and practice like required or like, I didn't have to do anything for this guy. I literally just had to keep him talking because he just needed somebody to talk to. And you know, like, obviously this was kind of a funny situation for me because I was, I like adrenaline was still pumping because I was expecting the stabbing and it was just a drunk person. But like in the end, I still got to sit down and talk to somebody that was in crisis and needed help. Maybe it wasn't as like intense as a stabbing, but you know what? I still got to help somebody in that moment. And a lot of situations that we come across as a paramedic is that Um, something like that. So whether someone's intoxicated, intoxicated or an overdose or just fell and hurt themselves, nothing crazy. So it was just part of the job, but it was just kind of a comical moment between not having any gas. Everybody's like excited for this intense trauma call. And it ended up just being a total coincidence that somebody had a bit too much drink that day and fell over in a park. So that was my kind of one of my funnier paramedic calls. Um, looking back after the call, we had all had a kind of a good laugh after we kind of got over our frustrations. And it was just kind of a, a funny wake up call in the busyness of our day. Uh, and I know that kind of stuff happens often with paramedics and firemen, police, I'm sure as well. So that was kind of my funny story of the drunk guy that fell next to the stabbing. And uh, I hope that you guys enjoyed it. This was my first story time with Curtis. And I promise there's going to be lots more. I've got lots of stories to share. And it's really fun because as my paramedic career goes on, I'm going to have more stories to share with you guys, uh, which is kind of cool. I'll never run out of content. And I hope that you guys never run out of enjoying me, hearing me speak. So thank you guys so much for lending me your ears. If you enjoyed this conversation, I'd love it if you'd share it with one friend that you think would find this interesting. Uh, You can find the podcast anywhere there's podcasts except for iTunes. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me on Twitter at Curtis Anderton or um, shoot me a message on Facebook. So thank you guys so much for listening. Remember, you have what it takes, and I'll catch you in the next episode. Peace. The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.